0: Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm your host, Timothy Regal. Today, I'm joined by Philip Tanzer. Philip is a former award-winning gay porn star who quit the industry and now speaks out against the dangers of porn addiction. He's also a men's rights activist, supporting male equality in the family court system and male victims of domestic violence. He recently ran for Scottish Parliament as a member of the Scottish Family Party, where he advocated for conservative values, reducing fatherless homes, improving sex education, and spoke out against the negative effects of pornography and the LGBT agenda. Thanks for joining me today, Philip. It's a pleasure to yeah. finally be a person. Absolutely. You know, that intro I just gave you, you've had quite the journey in your life. You know, I mean, growing up in, in you know, Cold War Germany, to, to family tragedy, to the military, to a porn career, and leaving all that behind and getting into activism and politics and, and Finding your faith in the meantime. So how have you made it through all those ups and downs and challenges and changes in your life?
1: I think the first thing I have to say, I didn't find faith. Uh, I was born with, with knowing God in mm-hmm. many ways. Uh, that might be hard to ex- explain, but um, I, I, never found, I never felt lost. I felt lost. Hmm here on earth in in some ways because I feel like I was born separated in some ways from the father and I have to say I do not did not grow up in a Christian household but I always had a really strong connection to God even without having read the Bible when I started reading the Bible it was more of a remembering rather than a new discovery. It was like, these are truths. These mm-hmm. are truths that I know in my heart to be true. Um, so that is very important to say because sure. that was a protection that guided me through my life and kept me safe in very unsafe places, I would say. And, and a compass that kept me on a very dangerous path. And I went, obviously, uh, down very... Uh, I went down some, some potentially very dangerous paths.
0: Yeah, and I can certainly understand with that, that mindset as well, where I, never, I certainly wasn't living out my faith and didn't do anything, but I do believe that God was with me through my darkest days. And mm-hmm. in some ways, maybe he even you know, allowed me to go through that because he knew he was refining me for a greater purpose.
1: I, I feel exactly the same way. I feel the same way. And it's a it's a difficult topic because I don't want to say God wanted me to go into these dark places, but right. I had to go into some of these dark places to actually confirm that what is said in the Bible is correct. So I found too many things, not because of the Bible, but I found them because I felt them to be true in my heart. And then I read the Bible and I was like, that's correct. I, I could feel it. I could feel it in life. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel the same way God allowed. He, we have the free will. God allows us to, to make mistakes. I hope that by me making the mistakes with the protection that I had from God, I maybe can protect others from actually going down this, this path uh, without the protection.
0: And now you grew up in, in Germany, you're uh, German born, um, and you're old enough to remember divided Germany, Cold War Germany. So what my was father... that like growing up there and, and what was, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of religion or faith there. So talk about that a little bit.
1: So my father is from East Germany. He actually okay. jumped a ship to escape communist Germany, uh, which almost, well, which Could have ended his life. He escaped to West Germany where he started working as a dentist. That's how and when he met my mother. And I grew up in a good family home. We were well off. We had a beautiful house, a bit on the countryside. And I grew up with my grandparents and with my father and my mother. And I was baptized, so I grew up as a Protestant Christian, but we would only go to church on Christ- for Christmas or when somebody yeah. baptized or had their confirmation. Sure. And, but overall, it was wholesome. Around the age of 10, though, my mother, she started an affair with a South African weapons dealer. And she ended up leaving the family, which obviously put a lot of stress on the family. And because he was a weapons dealer, my, and because she was about to destroy the, her marriage, my grandparents were sending the police after him. So it was a bit of a spy, mm-hmm. that part of my life. And in the end, it led to my mother actually being killed by her second husband, he shot her and shot himself afterwards because she was about to leave him because he was, he was a controlling person, which was what she found attractive about him. My father is a very, is a soft person, a soft man. The other guy was a very hard man, uh, which I think attra- that's what my mom was attracted to. But then because the old political regime in South Africa had stopped the apartheid regime and he was white and he worked for the apartheid regime. He had lost his political connections. He didn't have a job. He was a loser with a pretty exciting past, but he couldn't even provide for my mother. And that brought out more and more of negative traits in him and I think really his hmm. masculinity, which when my mom decided to leave him and to come back to Germany, uh that pushed him towards uh shooting my mother and then himself. Wow.
0: And how, how old were you when that happened? 16. You were 16. So that's a a a very difficult age to to lose a parent in any circumstances, let alone, you know, tragically and and through homicide, um, I mean, how did that affect you at that age? I mean, were you, were you already kind of seeing a, a drift towards some of these other behaviors, some of the, uh, you know, you, you had gotten involved in kind of the goth community and, okay. and that sort of thing or, or how yeah. did,
1: did that maybe affect that or, or did that lead to that? What do, you, what do you think? That's a good question. Of course, I cannot say that it didn't affect it, but by yeah. the time when my mom was killed I the moment when my mother was killed obviously I started crying and then mm-hmm. I, it, I immediately felt new in every po- negative is something positive very much mm-hmm. the again and in, in some ways and that moment at the age of 16 I was like what's the positive about the fact that my mom was just killed and I could immediately see that it would it could positively affect my life and and that I could learn a lot from this situation, so by that time, I was already very mm. rounded, and I would say, "I don't want to boast, but back then I was wise beyond my years and sure. very stable. The Goth community and all of this that goes way back, and i mm. think I think that. My strong connection to God, in some ways, brought out an interest in dark things—not okay. things that not evil, but dark right. things. And when I said earlier that I have this protection, so I can go into some of these dark places, I—they fascinated me. I, I I liked I loved it in art, um, like some some religious pain, uh, painters that painted purgatory and stuff like that. I always found that really, really interesting looking at, looking at the fact that we are dying, that we grow older to me, there is beauty in all of that. Sure. Um, and but God
0: created darkness, just God created everything. So he created exactly. darkness just as that. And,
1: and God can be found in, in anything as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, So I think my gothic phase and all of that—that has to do with my fascination of Mm. weird things. Of of, even now, I love taking photos of dead animals. I found a stranded whale on the beach the Mm. other day with like the guts hanging out, and I was like, "Oh, that'll be that would be a nice photo." For me, mortality is a beautiful thing, and I think my going into gothic and being a Marilyn Manson fan and all of that was reflected in that the question is obviously when did I start to have a same-sex attraction I would say in some ways as as long as I can remember I wonder if that has to do with me longing for a father because my father even though he was a good father he was not a great dad he wasn't he wasn't very masculine he didn't play with us he wasn't he wasn't what i needed or what i wanted in a father and my older brother my older brother is gay he's very soft also quite soft so i didn't have that apart from maybe my grandfather and i think that this urge to to find a father to to have strong masculinity in my life i think that over time, I started fetishizing that. Mm. At a very young age, I would say maybe like six years or so, I found a stash of porn magazines in my our attic. And it was 90% it was Playboy magazines and there was one Playgirl magazine. And I was mm. immediately focused on that the other ones didn't interest me now to be honest I don't think that's unusual especially for a very young age where you're where you don't have an interest in the opposite sex yet you're much more interested in your own sex and and what masculinity means and I think having access to this imprinted potentially imprinted a pornographic or sexual understanding of my my urge for masculinity if that makes sense
0: okay so those two separate parts of your life kind of the homosexual side and the same-sex attraction side and in the the goth kind of the dark side which kind of maybe even came from a not a negative place but they kind of merged together
1: i don't know i don't know i i think when you Obviously, you know, Marilyn Manson, you know, mm-hmm. boy George Prince. And, oh, that is actually a good point. So <laughs> my brother and I, we looked incredibly normal. Like we were boring, normal. And and, mm-hmm. and my mom actually was afraid that we would grow up to become like really boring people. So she bought me and my brother heavy metal T-shirts. I, I I was listening to Roxette. Yeah. So that, oh, that wow. Abba and Roxette when I was a kid. So and then she, she bought my my brother a t-shirt from Anthrax with okay. an American president with devil horns on it. Yeah. And, yeah. And for me, she bought a t-shirt of like pentagrams and skulls and devil hands. Like pretty satanic actually. Yeah. <laughs> She gave me that T-shirt, and I loved my mom so much, and I was like, mm, "Thank you." <laughs> but I was yeah. Like- that's
0: a interesting mom. I mean, it when a com- community I grew up in, my dad was a pastor for fifty mm-hmm. years, and and I kind of had that exploration of dark things too. You know, I think a lot of kids go through a goth phase. Um, I got into metal music and and heavy music, and ended up you know, hardcore punk rock scene and all that, and. Cool. Um, you know, started, started getting tattoos and played in metal bands and, and everything too. And now I, I guess maybe I'm still a part of it because I'm a funeral director now and I work with the dead every day. Oh, (laughs) wow, okay. So, so I think some of that death, but yeah, that's interesting that your mom would, would, would encourage that for you. Most parents, especially in in a Christian communities, at least a lot of American Christian communities, would, you know, you can't listen to Metallica and ACDC and all these things, you know, they're, they're, Mm -hmm. they're satanic and and terrible and you can't, and some of them aren't the greatest in the world. I'll give them that, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, to, to push you into that.
1: The thing is like my brother obviously never wore his anthrax t-shirt because Mm. he was interested that in that at all. But I was already at a young age. I loved horror movies, horror comics and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I was, that's pretty cool. My mom gave me an old pair of leather like trousers leather pants Mm. and i was wearing them to school one day and then one of my schoolmates he called me a faggot because of that and i grabbed him put him against the wall and i was like you will never call me that again Mm. and it was in this moment when i thought i've got two options now either i conform or i don't and i decided not to conform and by that time i w- i became alice cooper fan still huge alice cooper fan who is actually a christian yeah a christian he's awesome i love alice yeah and, and yeah i became alice cooper fan prince fan later marilyn manson fan and i started to dress accordingly so i I was wearing a like, black skirt to school and stuff like that. And mostly to push myself to see if I can do things against what people expect me to do. Mm. And to be honest, I'm eternally grateful for doing that because I, I'm not sure I could stand up to government terror, tyranny and all of that right now if it hadn't been for going through these phases in the past. Mm.
0: So at what point did you start, besides dressing that way and and acting that way, when did you actually start acting out on these homosexual
1: impulses? So when I I was 18, I dated girls. I had sex with one of them. She was from the Gothic scene. And it was okay, but it didn't feel horny, so to speak. Hmm. It felt okay. But I didn't feel a, a deep a sexual connection, so to speak. My brother had already come out as gay. And it wasn't a big deal. My father really didn't care. And I identified as asexual with a tendency towards men. I started, I was like, I, I have a tendency towards men, but I actually don't want sex. I felt quite strongly that sex was nothing that I needed to have, but I was very interested in it. I went to like, I started going to sex clubs and leather bars and stuff like that, and just observing people, uh, not necessarily having sex, that as well, but I observed people in that environment, again, from a safe distance sitting in a corner dro- doing like sketches and drawing things while watching them. And then I, I, I joined the military. It's hard to explain. I was simultaneously in different lives. I was in the military life. I On the weekends, I would go to gay clubs, but I wasn't part of it. I was just like observing, but I could feel that pull and, and wanting to engage and I did engage sexually but I could tell it felt horny but not right it just felt wrong Mm -hmm. it took me till the age of 27 all of a sudden at the age of 27 something in in me clicked and said you can have sex now and I was actually having dinner with my dad that evening we were out in a restaurant and I was like oh oh he was like what's wrong and I was like I think I can have sex now, <laughs> and my father was like, "What?" <laughs> and I explained to him, and um, then I started. I'm um, then I started like having a random set or se- sex with random people in the mm-hmm. gay community, and I would say eighty five percent of that was meaningless, or maybe eight percent. I would say ten percent were harmful was like oh that yeah that was bad that was really bad and maybe 2 or 3% i would say were positive where i could actually feel that there was a person who respected me and i'm respecting the other person and shortly after that i i started doing porn It was predominantly because I ran out of money. I ran out of money from the military and I was working as an alternative rock DJ and you don't make any money with that. And because I was German Mr. Leather, the official representative of the German leather and fetish community as the youngest person ever to be elected and or given that title. And somebody who at that time was vegan, which they didn't know. So I wasn't even wearing leather in the beginning of that. And, and I didn't have sex during that time. I took on this title and I, I participated in this competition because I felt that God wanted me to. Hmm. Because there's a lot of darkness in this, in this part of society. And I wanted to go there and tell people to look after themselves and to not take drugs and not screw around without condoms. And yeah, to love themselves. And I, I did what I could. I did what I could. It was, very, it was limited. And in the end of that year, I was very burned out and I had to distance myself, this whole community because it, 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 it was too much, even with all my, and I never took drugs, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, so I was super healthy, I, I didn't have sex, uh, and if I, when I had something, I always used protection, so I was safe in that regard, but it was too draining, it, it was literally like fighting with a sword against a flood. Um, but because I was German, Mr. Leather, I had some connections to the porn industry, and when I ran out of money and when I felt that internal permission or that thing, you can have sex now. I was like, hmm. I, I could try to go into the porn industry and try to do the same thing that I did with the leather community and try to bring something positive to the porn industry because I wasn't a huge fan of how sexuality and interpersonal relations were por- portrayed in pornography and I was like maybe i can bring something positive to it some some love some life
0: i'm just curious how that comes about i mean is it just something where yeah you have a this <clears throat> you're involved with this community so you have some connections from the mister leather competition you probably have some name recognition and that's maybe something they can can use i'm sure they did use once you got into to porn that you had had won this competition so is that something you just call somebody up and say hey i want to do this is there like a uh you know audition no, there is type
1: a, of thing like how does that there, how does that work there's a there is a job application form okay. so i i went on i went to the website and there was like do you want to become a model and then i filled that out and it obviously asks you a lot of very explicit questions, what you're into, what you're willing to do. And I pretty much like consistently said, I'm only okay with cuddle sex. <laughs> so because, because I had right. these tattoos and because I was German Mr. Leather, I was like, I do not want to do any of that stuff. I, I don't Good. want to be typecast into uh, like... Fetish. Yeah, didn't, I didn't yeah. want to do that. And then I talked to them over the phone and they invited me over to America. And I did my first scene. It was a really positive experience working with this particular company. The boss and all the people behind the scenes were nothing but wonderful people. Were they hurting or some of them? Yes when by the time I joined one of the bosses of the company who was a porn actor himself in the past, he disappeared the week when I was there and he was sober for quite a long time. And everybody was like, he disappeared. He probably had a, like a um, backlash. Relapse. Yeah. Relapse exactly. And everybody was incredibly worried. And Seeing them being so worried was actually quite nice, quite beautiful. And I had the conversation with the studio boss and he said, look, we actually would like you to work for us as an exclusive. The positive is we will look after you, we will do the promotion and we will always treat you good. But you will make less money. We will pay you well, but there's only a limited amount of scenes that you can do because otherwise we um, over, yeah. Overexposure. Exactly, exactly. But if you work, so that's when you become an exclusive. If you don't want to become an exclusive, you can work for every studio and you will make a lot more money, but you will probably have a lot of negative experiences Mm. and you will burn out quite fast. And I immediately decided to become an exclusive for, for this company. And I apologized to them because most of the guys and working for them were quite buff and quite muscular. And I said, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm not very muscular. Uh, I'm trying to gain some weight. And he said, if, if you want to gain some weight, that's absolutely fine. But we like you the way you are. But whatever you do... Do not take any steroids. Do not start taking drugs. Look after yourself. Like be safe. Yes, I'm against pornography, but I have to say that I met good people there as well.
0: You've talked about and in, in some other things that I've that I've read that you've written and, and spoken on about how you've lost some friends that you knew in the industry mm-hmm. to to suicide to drugs. Um, there's a lot of lot of drug use. In, in that industry what is it that happens behind the scenes that's so devastating that leads people down that that dark path and did you ever experience any of that
1: so i i never took drugs in my whole life never took drugs in my life and it never took me down a da- dark path to be honest because i lived in a small garden garden house in germany next to the forest with my dog. And I was working as an alternative rock DJ with real friends. And they were all straight with like, I had one or two gay friends, but not because they were gay, just because they were good people. And so I, I was so removed from this gay lifestyle and porn lifestyle. And I, I didn't really have sex when I was in Germany either. I lived very quiet, very calm. Um, so that kept me safe. What the darkness or the thing that takes people down this dark path, there's a much higher percentage of drug use in the gay community anyways. Right. A much higher um, level of risky behavior, unprotected sex, the amount of sex that people have. And people can't, can't love and can't commit. And they're constantly looking for, something that is pure i would say something that actually fills a hole in their soul and straight people do that as well obviously right people like why do straight people take drugs why do they um like have various sex partners every weekend it's the same hole uh, that they have in their heart i think it's just more common it might be more common in gay people and being a sexual deviant obviously opens the doors to just <clears throat> bring all of that. And in heterosexuality, women are the sexual gatekeepers. They set the boundaries. In in homosexuality, you don't have that. There are no boundaries because everybody's just like, want to fuck? Yeah, sure. Let's go to the bathroom. It's, it's as simple as that. Everywhere. And in the porn industry, this behavior gets a price tag. So you start selling your sexuality. And I would say the biggest problem for a lot of porn actors is not the porn itself, especially if they just work for one company. It's starting to work as an escort. When you shoot porn, it's very clinical in many ways. It's, it's like, it, it's not, it doesn't feel like real sex. It's the performance of sex. And I often compared it with the movie Jackass. You just do some okay. weird stuff with your body. And the camera is here. And, and it's very clear you, you're just colleagues that at the best of times, like each other or maybe respect each other. Often you're like, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't have to take, I don't have to have a coffee with you after this. But when you work as an escort and I tried that twice working as an escort and it burned my soul immediately, immediately. And I wasn't even having sex with guys, just online interacting, selling yourself and people treating you like a piece of meat saying, um, I had them pretty much saying, I don't care how you feel during, during doing that. I pay for you and I'm going to screw you as long as I want. And I don't care if you're in pain. That's what I pay for. Mm. I, and, and I could not believe that. It was a dark time. It was a very dark week in my life with a lot of financial pressure. And from one day to the next, I had potentially 50000 debt and it wasn't sure yet but I was freaking out and I was like oh I have to make more money now during that time I actually was already working as a erotic massage therapist and when I say erotic massage it was there there was sometimes even full-on sex now people will say that is prostitution and I would agree with that but That actually didn't harm me very much on a soul level. But that one day of of actually defining myself as a prostitute harmed me so much more. And why is that? The reason was, as a massage therapist, I was constantly in control of the situation. I was the person who offered a service to a person who was lying there. They were not allowed to interact with me. They were just there to pretty much receive, I'm going to say, my care. And I, I really cared about my clients. So I, I talked to them about their private life, about how they, how they were doing. And yes, there were these sexual aspects. But I, because I was in control of the situation and because I actually cared about my clients as people, it actually didn't harm me. on on an emotional level, I would say. Um, But when I put myself out as meat, uh, you can't believe how how bad that was, how bad that was. And up to this point, there was a, up to a certain point, I thought it's, people should be allowed, or it's okay when people work as prostitutes, for example, know what they're doing. Now I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't think you, you can know what you're doing when you do that.
0: I've seen the effects of pornography in the porn industry from this side of the screen mm. and, and, and recovered from that in porn and sex addiction and help other men through that. And I've seen the devastation that it causes in, in their lives and see what you mentioned earlier about trying to fill that void in their life. I believe it's a, it's a God sized hole in our heart that we're trying to find. Um, A lot of men are, are searching for God on Pornhub. Yeah. And I can see where it can be the same way on the other side of the screen, on the other side of the camera, where they're searching for, for God and searching for some sort of fulfillment, some sort of connection, intimacy, love, acceptance, all these things. And it just comes out on that side of the camera versus this side of the camera and where and in ways i think that can be even a lot worse because of what you're talking about where you're just a commodity you're just your your value is only on what you can do to get other people off and i think it's even made worse now the last i don't know whatever it's been 4 or 5 years because you've had the increase in the homemade pornography industry OnlyFans, which is which I call Uber for porn, yeah, because it's just allowing anybody to do it. So now you have all these mostly girls, probably, but I imagine there's quite a few men doing it as well that are selling themselves on there, and they don't have to even be a part of a a, a porn uh, studio or do multiple. They can do it from their own bedroom, and I and they're I, having
1: that same feeling, not even being a part of the industry. So so two things. I I think there is a very Strong difference between watching porn and providing porn in the right. God filled hole that you're filling. <clears throat> because for the consumer, it's the sexual kick. For the actor, it's the money. Mm. It's money and it becomes the status. Uh, you become a star. I, I was in a relationship with a co actor and his star was was going down while my star was rising. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't deal with it at all. I And I don't care about stardom at all. And it was hard for me to see that he was envious of what I had and addicted to what I had and sure. didn't care about it at all. And he she really wanted to hold on to it.
0: So it's his his value, his, his worth in life based on that status. Yeah. And then when it starts going downhill and maybe that's how some of these people get to those dark places. Mm. Oh yeah. You know, when yeah. your value starts collapsing, it's like, well, I'm not worth any money anymore. No one's willing to pay me. I'm not
1: worth anything anymore. That that's when you get into the escort part. So when you are a well-respected porn actor, you can do escort, but you don't have to because mm-hmm. you're still making money but as you get less and less bookings, you start working as an escort okay. and you burn yourself out. And, and, and obviously, guys have to eat Viagra like popcorn, sure. which is not great for your heart. And then they have to be fit all the time. So they take steroids, also not good for your heart. And then, what some, not to be honest, not all of them, but some obviously start taking drugs. I have, I have known a lot of, quite a lot of porn actors that actually didn't do any drugs. So not, it, it's not omnipresent. I would say it's a bit higher than in the gay community overall, mm-hmm. but not everybody does it.
0: We hear a lot these days about the prevalence of sex trafficking in the porn industry. Um, you hear, especially now, all the Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell stuff that's, that's in the news, both here in the States and, and, and there in the UK as well. Um, does that occur amongst men and boys as well, as much as it does with, with younger girls?
1: That's a really, really hard question, even for me as a men's rights activist, because human trafficking is more prevalent amongst men than amongst women, but it's mostly for labor. Okay. Slave labor. In regards to sex trafficking of boys, I don't know, but I doubt it. Okay. I think that the classical route towards boys is through positions of, of power and trust. Uh, the sports coaches, um, right. scouts, the church, things like that. I think that the loopholes for abusing boys, they closed them better than for girls in in some ways. Um, I think that there was greater institutional abuse of boys and they cracked down on that quite, quite well. In regards to girls, I, honestly, I don't know how it's mm-hmm. about young girls. I know that here in like in Germany, the UK, the big problem are Eastern European countries. Um, a lot of young girls come over maybe willingly to work, but then they end up in prostitution. Okay.
0: So how long did you spend in the in the porn industry? How, how long was it from when you first joined where you mentioned that process to when you decided to leave?
1: Overall, I would say around about four years, but it was very intense, two years, then big break, where I did almost nothing, and then I did a couple more scenes, and then I I stopped it.
0: And what led to you leaving it? Was there this watershed moment where you're like, I have to stop this, or was it kind of a
1: fading out? No, actually, Obama did it. So... (laughs) When Obama cracked down on illegal work in America, he made it much, much harder for people to work without a work permit, including in the porn industry. So my company said, sorry, but we have to lay low. We can't have you here for a while. And and that that's why my career ended after two years. Then when I came back, I came back because I was in America anyways. And I thought it's a good way to pay for the travel expenses. Unfortunately, by that time, the company had moved from San Francisco to uh, Vegas. And while there were actually couple of positive things about san francisco they had a really good record store (laughs) there was nothing redeeming for me in vegas i absolutely loathed it and the scenes that i had to do when i was in vegas one of them was so awful um, that i would say i agreed to being raped and the following three scenes that i did were much better. But for me, it was clear that was the last thing that I would do that. And I felt like I, I'm so over it. I, it felt wrong. And and by that time, I had already at the age of 32, I started dating women, having, having sex with men. I still did it privately every once in a while, but I could feel that it was wrong. It was wrong. It was sinful. It was simply giving in to Bodily urges that were hard to control.
0: Do you think that you maybe deep down always felt it was strong?
1: Yeah, I knew, I knew all the time. There were two instances where I felt a holy presence during having sex with men, and it was not because I was having sex with the man, but it was because there was a real emotional vulnerability between me and this person uh, because in in both instances in one instance the other guy had just been immensely hurt and there were two completely open hearts meeting each other and well sex happened as well but it was the honesty of the hearts interacting and in the other instance I was deeply hurt, and um, the other person was there holding me. And the the second instance that I was talking about was actually during a porn shoot. Uh, but my heart was so broken and so open, and just having somebody holding me, I I, it was a very intense spiritual feeling. But it wasn't because we had sex with each other. It was because two people met each other without masks. in some Mm -hmm. ways. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: And I think God finds us in those darkest of places. There's Mm -hmm. a, I don't know who said it, but it's one of my things that, that I love to, to repeat to myself is, and I think it's true of my story. When I was broken and, and my addiction was exposed. The saying is, You never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Mm -hmm. And I think we can get into those broken moments of our life where you've tried everything. And, And maybe that, you know, you can speak to that if that was the case for you, where you were maybe searching for all these years through all these different things. And finally, you've tried almost everything. And you get to this moment where your heart is so broken that you realize God was what you needed all along.
1: I never felt deeply broken. In this instance, it was well, I I lost a friend, like a friendship. No, he he is still alive, and we're good friends now.
0: Yeah, but
1: I lost a friend, and losing this friend who meant so much to me that broke my heart, and wow. it was so open, openly wounded. And yeah, it is again. It uh, you you're right. It is still the God-sized hole because the reason why I was so focused on this friend was because I wanted him as a masculine friend in my life. And then he turned away from me. And again, it goes to the father. Right. (laughs) And then there was somebody else holding me. I think I haven't told that in, in a while and I almost forgot about it. I was always fighting for myself in my life. And that was fine. My DJ name was Krieger, which means warrior. And I've got an armor tattooed all, on, all over my body. But I, had, I have wounds to heal, like from, from birth, from childhood, from separation, from, from being born here. And I always said to God, I'm, I'm happy to fight all my life. And I don't need, uh, and, and I'm happy to fight for you. But at one point, I need some, I need a brother who I can trust who can guard the fireplace while I take off, while I take off my armor so I can heal my wounds. Mm-hmm. And that was my demand to God. I said, that's the one thing that I that I demand that somebody that you allow me to have a brother that I can trust. And that's why I became so obsessed with this one guy who then turned away from me and why it Mm. hurt bad. Um, And then I moved to Scotland and I started to build my own house uh, over one and a half years. And I became the man, the man that I needed to look after the child in myself. Mm. And, And now I don't feel that now I have brothers, but I actually don't feel they have to look after me anymore. I'm the man that I needed to be. And now I just want to have children.
0: That example you use is perfect. I love that of protecting you so that you can take off your armor because that's what it really takes to heal. We have to break down these walls that we've built around ourselves. We have to open up these wounds that we've been using porn, using sex to medicate with or running to porn and sex to run away from the pain in those wounds. And we have to feel safe enough. We have to feel vulnerable enough in order to do that, in order to heal. And so it's so important to have those people in our lives, whoever it may be, that allow us to do that. One thing you've talked about in, in some interviews that I've seen is the... And I think you have a lot in in your now political endeavors as well is the relationship and the connection between broken homes, absent fathers, broken souls, and homosexuality. What's behind that? What do you mean by that? What what do you think that connection is?
1: I'm going to, I'm going to put the homosexuality to the side for, for a moment. Okay. Um, I think that every child needs a father and a mother. Not every child can have a father and a mother. If one of them dies, that's that's horrible. But we know from statistics that in cases where a, a parent dies, it's actually far less negative from its impact than if one of the parents leaves or um, can't see the children anymore. That is, That has a far worse impact. I think you need need the balance of a father and a mother, and both of them should be fully in their masculinity and femininity, which is also very important. And I think we haven't had that for a very, very long time. I don't know how long the brokenness goes back, definitely to uh, um, First and Second World War, I think that the fact that so many fathers died, that so many fathers came back broken with immense internal pain, I think that is still trickling down. But and unfortunately, we created a society that is so safe now, and that we have the luxury of not working hard on ourselves and on our relationships. And that led to complete destruction of everything that's important. The family, father and mother, is the bare minimum that we need to grow up as halfway intact people. Um, And almost nobody has that. Even in in families where the parents are together, um, how much communication is there? How much love is there? How much do the parents actually teach the children about life do they have an infrastructure of people they can trust a safe community all of that has been eroded and I would say that the only way back to that is faith Hmm. see it in Muslim countries and Muslim communities they still have it they 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 also have problems, but it's very different problems. Right now, both men and women are completely aimless. And this aimlessness also expresses itself in sexuality, in homosexuality, and right now extremely in in transsexuality. And when people say that the trans issue is Different from the homosexual, homosexuality issue because one is uh, like a sexual, sexual orientation and the other one is an identity. I call BS. It's, it, it's, uh, it's a scale where in the middle you are wholly yourself, you are completely comfortable and confident in yourself in your masculinity or femininity if you're a woman and then it moves towards being completely out of yourself homosexuality is on that on that part and the end point is transsexuality there is a reason why a lot of homosexuals also are quite effeminate in their personality Obviously, you also have homosexuals that try to be very masculine, but often gluing together the broken pieces of your masculinity. But this brokenness that leads to that might lead to homosexuality, or the brokenness that comes out of homosexuality, it's hard for me to tell which was there first, the egg or the hen this can lead to overcompensation where people try to be as masculine as possible. And in very, very few cases that actually works. Mm. Um, But there are cases I think where it has created beautiful fruits where people have overcome their brokenness and now share their experiences. I would say I'm, I'm one of these people where I try to turn the brokenness that I have, and I, I definitely still have it, and I try to bring that, uh, turn that into something positive for society. I, I,
0: I like how you, you say how the, you know, the brokenness can be the cause of and the caused by these homosexual feelings in, in the transgenderism. I think it's a constant searching. There's constant searching for it and you just keep going farther and farther down that path or up that scale. Like you, you talked about and keep searching and how far is it going to lead? You know, what's the next thing after transgenderism?
1: Yeah. So I got a question to you because you, you work with people that um, have sex addiction and I have briefly, so I, I didn't go through conversion therapy and I didn't have contact to people that went through conversion therapy Mm -hmm. during the time when I started opening myself to women. Now, I actually find it hard to talk to people that went through conversion therapy because, because of their brokenness. I respect them. I fully respect them. But I feel like their brokenness is in parts not dangerous to me, but I don't want to be close to it. I'd rather be closer to wholeness. Does that make sense? And how do you feel about that? Um, Because you work with people that are going through what you've been through. For me,
0: I don't see it quite in that way. I see it in two different ways. One, it's a constant reminder that I could fail at any moment. Mm -hmm. I'm only one mouse click away from being right back where these guys are. Yeah. So that's part of it. Number two, and and I alluded to this earlier, I feel that I went through what I went through because God had a plan for me to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And I see this as a ministry first. This is my mission field that God has decided for me. And so because of that, I think he has brought me through what I brought through, brought me through the darkness and brought me into the light of his grace and forgiveness so that I could have this mission field and minister to other men and help them through the darkness, help them find what they're searching for, help them, let them be vulnerable like we were talking about earlier. Let me be the one to guard them so that they can feel vulnerable and heal those wounds that are driving this addiction. And help them get to where they need to be.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think I just found the problem. <laughs> I think the problem for me is that. I'm, I'm not married yet. And I don't mm-hmm. have children yet. So. The, that anchor. That, that thing that ties me. That, that is the ultimate. I arrived. Okay. Isn't there yet. And mm-hmm. I think. I think because of that, I still react. I react negatively to homosexuality. So I, I haven't, I have an issue with gay people. Uh, Not on a personal level, but it, it irritates me. Like when you were a smoker, Mm -hmm. you stopped smoking and now you can smell it everywhere. And you get really angry when somebody smells of smoke and it's like, come down, come down you're only angry because it reminds you of your your own battle yeah
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right well you're on the other side
0: of it now and you can see you know you can look back you know hindsight's 2020 you can look back and and see where those people are they can't see it yet Mm -hmm. and that can be that can be frustrating i i even experienced that It's, it's just like man if you just don't give up, like keep, keep pushing here. You'll get there. You know, cause I can see it cause I'm on this side of it. A lot of times they can't. And, and when you don't have that light at the end of the tunnel, it's easy to stay in that darkness. Yeah.
1: And I find it especially difficult. First of all, I, I don't, I don't feel the need to tell people to m- move away from their homosexual urges and it's hard. It's it's so much easier to tell people, hey, watch less porn or stop watching porn, but if you if you start saying, hey, have you ever thought about not being gay? You're on very thin ice in regards to like legality.
0: Wow. In the UK. And have you experienced that yourself since you? no longer identify as homosexual have you been attacked by the lgbt community oh yeah oh yeah
1: i've been i've been attacked from the very first moment so when i when i had my first experiences with women again i was interviewed by a lovely woman she interviewed me and i'm a very very honest and incredibly open person and we just chatted and i said oh yeah by the way I just recently had an experience with a woman and this is what felt great about women. That's, this is what I like about men and stuff like that right after this article. And I didn't even think about it because for me, it was, it was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm a person I'm allowed to have to, to make choices and to change. And I was immediately attacked and Mm -hmm. that I was a traitor that people like, like me should die Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so the, backlash, the backlash was swift, and, which made it much easier for me to move away from the LGBT community faster and faster. Yeah. And, faster. and I never felt comfortable with the community anyway. So that was yeah. from the very beginning. Never and I've focused.
0: seen that even in doing, honestly, doing some research in, in preparation for this interview. I found several articles that were just blasting you um, online that were written you know, homosexual blogs or or different communities or whatever, where do you where do you think that hate comes from? I mean, why are you allowed to on the one side, if you go from heterosexuality to homosexuality or uh, male to female or female to male, you're allowed this. Oh, we have to accept everybody and whatever anybody identifies with is okay, And, and you know, and you have to be accepting and believe everyone and all that. But the minute you switch back, you get immediately turned on. Where does that hate, where does that
1: come from? So that hate comes from the very same place where all hate comes from, and that's fear and insecurity. Hmm. All, all hate comes from fear, I think. They are afraid of losing their own identity. Why do Why do so many gay people and also, but also so many straight people, why do they go into groups? Why do they associate even, even old Trump thing is like, if that becomes your identity, who are you Hmm. being LGBT is a, is an identity. And then somebody says, Oh, actually like you can, you can change your identity. No, you're Hmm. not to attack my identity.
0: So, So it becomes, you're not just changing your preferences. For, for lack of a better term. It's not that you're just changing who you are sexually, physically attracted to. It, it becomes to where it's not even your choice anymore. You're, you're changing your orientation is attacking their identity, their existence, their value.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, look, right now, lesbians are being forced to have sex with transgender women who still have a penis because otherwise they are transphobic bigots. It's it's absolutely insane. Their sexuality preferences, deviancy, whatever you want to call it, has been weaponized and politicized Mm. for a very long time. When you look at, for example, Arabic countries, so in Arabic countries, there is a lot of sex going on. It's a lot of homosexual sex because they are not allowed to, or access to women is problematic, and I would say a lot of men have contact with with their wives and with men sometimes if they can, if there is a a possibility for that. Now, because nobody talks about it and because everything is hidden, you can kind of do what you want to do without anybody judging. And uh, apart from Allah... (laughs) Uh, because nobody talks about it. And in some ways, they're actually... Okay, that might be a completely wrong assessment, but in some ways, they, are, they might actually be freer uh, mm. than, than being in the LGBT community, because if you're in the LGBT community, you are watched, and you are a political representative of your group. Nowadays, it's not enough to be gay. It's not enough to be lower case gay you have to be capital gay you have to be capital trans it's it's a political statement why do so many gay couples try to adopt in many many cases it's a political statement it's not well first of all we still have this god-filled hole in our midst because we can't have children and we are allowed to adopt children so we're going to adopt children now it in cases, it's a political statement of equality. They, it's not about what's best for the child.
0: Well, that's a great, great
1: transition.
0: So you, you got out of the porn industry, you turned away from homosexuality, and got into activism and politics. Yeah. So how did you get started as a, as a men's rights activist?
1: I think that started when I was in the military. So when I was in the military, of most of my uh, the other soldiers obviously were straight, were married, had children, and a lot of them lost their children in custody battles. And their wives uh, did parent- like parental alienation, alienated their children from them. And it was, it was pretty rough. And because I was gay, you are constantly trained to look for discrimination and hate and stuff like that. But men are being told that they, are, they have everything and they are the oppressors and stuff like that. So straight white men do not have, can't see that they're being discriminated against. It's, it's a blind spot. It's a complete blind spot. And I could see that there was a lot of discrimination going on. And years later, after I moved to, to Scotland, and when I realized that I could have a family, my, my second thought was, so when I realized I could have relationships with women, my first thought was, I can have a family. My second thought was, I don't want to lose my children. Wow. That's, that's awful. That's an awful thought. And that's the thought that drives me till now. So when I, when I meet a woman that um, I could consider as, as a partner, I'm like, would, could this person take away my children? Hmm. It's like one of my deepest fears in many ways. And that's how I started becoming interested in men's rights. I saw a video on YouTube from a YouTuber called Karen Strawn. Girl writes what? That's her uh, name. And it was about, yeah, the reality between the sexes. And then I attended my first international conference on men's issues in London um, after watching the movie The Red Pill. Yeah. And it was, I think it's the first time that I became part of a movement. Before that, I was never part of any movement. I was always on the sidelines. And now I'm somebody kind of like driving the ship. (laughs) Sure. And that fear that you talk about of
0: the way the table is tilted against men in family court and divorce court and all of that unfortunately it has caused a lot of men not to get into relationships or have any families to begin with. You see, you know, the red pill movement has gone, you know, has gone from, I think a great place to a lot of times it's gone to a, a dark place. And you see this, the, the MGTOW movement, the, the men going their own way to where they're going to that far extreme where they've just kind of sworn off women altogether. It's some of it because of that, that fear that you describe.
1: I get them. I, I, I don't give up, and I'm now in a situation, and we can talk about that in a moment, I'm now in a situation in my private life that very promising, let's okay. say, but I'm 44 years old now, and I still haven't found, Oh well, now I think I have, but it took me this long to find a woman that I could trust. And it's hard. It's hard. I I get the mctow guys. I just don't think it will make you happy. Right. I think it will bring you fulfillment, just like the cat-owning, forty-year-old feminists that have their glass of red wine on a Saturday night. Right. They're happy. That's
0: the male version of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, running I, away I from know. the fear altogether isn't going to fulfill you either.
1: Yeah. I think that the man, the MGTOW man can be happier than the, than the feminists <laughs> because they, they can have brotherhood and sure. overall man can feel more fulfilled in what they do rather than like having families. Uh women are more fulfilled in motherhood. Yeah, yeah. but what, what yeah. does it mean to, to be a man and have a brotherhood and all of that if you don't have a legacy, if you don't uh, if right. you have children to protect? So you got
0: involved with this men's activism, you're active online with it, you went to these conferences, you had your BBC special a couple of years ago, which was great. How did that lead into, into politics?
1: so i i saw posts from the scottish family party on facebook don't know how i how i became aware of them and the party leader richard lucas he criticized lgbt indoctrination in the school so i looked it up i was like oh okay i'm gonna have a look at that (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i was like wow somebody's actually calling it out (laughs) which is very very unusual and I, and I thought, mm, I'm going to go to a party meeting. Now, I live in at the end of nowhere. So the next city is two and a half hours away. And the party meeting that he had announced was five hours away. Wow. So I was driving five hours through a snowstorm, a literal snowstorm. I, I pretty much got stuck in the middle of it. I drove to this party meeting and it didn't happen because lgbt activists had called the hotel to cancel it because of wow. homophobia, yeah wow. and i arrived there was let's be honest nobody was showing up to the party conference and or to the meeting anyways because it was the first time they did that in in that city and it was very early days of the party and it was just me the party leader and one other guy and we were sitting in the hotel lobby, I went to the concierge and I said, look, I drove five hours here for this party meeting. I'm part of the LGBT community, which is actually true. <laughs> <laughs> and and how, how can you like, cancel a meeting because somebody calls you? What if we were Jewish? If, if, if this was a Jewish meeting and some people were calling you saying, oh, don't, have, don't let these Jews have a meeting, would you cancel it? No, you wouldn't. Right. So uh, we went to a, to a bar and had the party meeting there. And from that moment, I, I thought I have to support them because they need somebody like me with my past on their side somebody who can actually call out all the stuff that's going on behind closed doors in the lgbt community and in the porn industry um, and speak about it with lived experience Mm -hmm. so you last year you ran for
0: a seat on scottish parliament yeah okay and you ran as as a candidate for the scottish family party okay what was that experience like being not just being out there online and being an activist online on twitter facebook instagram whatever but actually i think getting in the trenches i think more men that are part of this manosphere community that that you and i are kind of a part of Mm. should put some more skin in the game and and should get involved like that on the, on the local level. Um, I, I, I had a, I had a guest on one of my first podcast guests is a good friend of mine, Michael Foster, who's a pastor, mm-hmm. and he talks. He has a program that's called County Before Country, where he's like, okay. we need instead of griping oh, online right. about Trump and Biden and all these things, it's like make an impact yeah. in your local community first. And yeah. so I applaud you for getting involved and putting some some skin in the game and actually trying to to get involved with that. But um, so, so you know, that's- my,
1: my experience in that regard. I, I live in the most rural area of Scotland. The next village is half an hour away. So canvassing, and it was during COVID. So canvassing is a nightmare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, and I'm, I'm a person. I love canvassing. I love going out and talking to people. Absolutely love it. And I would have liked doing something in a bigger city really with people so some of that experience was was lacking and it just simply couldn't happen there were some interesting experiences uh running for the scottish family party obviously a lot of hate from the lgbt community which was fun because a lot of them didn't know that i was um that i used to be gay so just called me because they knew I was running for the Scottish family party. And then I shocked them with some insider knowledge, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and what I, my, my, my nicest situation running for the party was I was asked for an interview by a very left-leaning political outlet or, or outlet, not even political outlet. And they said, oh, can we arrange an interview with you? And I said, yeah, sure, I can come to Inverness and you send your film crew up to Inverness. They arrived and they were clearly both non-binary. They came from a Gothic background and it was very clear that they were sent to evoke a response Hmm. in some ways. Now, the thing is, I'm a nerd. And I looked at the buttons that they had on their shirts. And I was like, oh, what do you think about their second album? And she was like, oh, oh, I actually don't know the band. That was a gift by a friend. So I pretty much just called her out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the, the female a non-binary person she stayed standoffish the whole time but the guy he actually it was awesome we had a really nice afternoon he asked me honest questions he agreed with me on most of these things because I'm a good person and I don't want don't hate immigrants and I don't hate LGBT people I just want society to heal Overall, so we actually had a really nice conversation. And that that was probably my nicest uh, situation experience. Moment yeah. of healing of reaching out to each
0: other. Yeah. One of your your platforms that, that you spoke about when you were when you were running for, for parliament was improving sex education in schools. Yeah. So how do you think that we can better teach our kids to to warn them of the the dangers of, of porn, the dangers of these sexual deviancy and, and, and these things that, that they're being so obliterated with really. I mean, they're all, it's almost forced on them. It's not that they're being exposed to it, it's that they're being indoctrinated with it. Yeah. You know, so what can we do to better educate our kids about that?
1: I actually, I think the parents need to be educated, not the kids, because yeah. uh, the, the parents are the ones who have the greatest access to the, To the children and to their access to the internet, so I think parents need to be taught how to block pornographic web uh, pages on the phones of the children, how to supervise the children's the content that the children use, and having honest conversations. Obviously, kids know that pornography exists, so you. To have a, an, an honest conversation and saying that this is not sexuality, it's it's fake, and highlighting the harms of it as you are doing. I wouldn't do it. You do it from a Christian perspective uh, in the schools. I think it and in the in the homes. I think it should be done from a less Christian or less religious and more scientific. Perspective, because Christian arguments can easily be dismissed as Christian arguments. But if you sure. show people the data, what it actually does, and how much it harms your body and your uh, development, I think these are things that nobody can dismiss. Neither a Christian a Christian can put that into his Christian framework, where atheists or other people can. that into their scientific or everyday framework. I think that in sex education, what they really need to stop is gendering everything. Uh, For example, making consent something that men have to ask women. It's like, no, you have to respect each other. Like There is no place for, oh, oh, a man has to do that to a woman. It's like, no, people People have to respect each other and raising a huge warning in regards to downgrading your sexuality. Now I believe in no sex before marriage, which obviously is easy for me to say because I had lots of sex um, before marriage and I wouldn't force my children not to have sex before marriage but i would talk about uh, i would talk about it with them here in europe it's almost impossible to to talk about this to achieve that because we don't have religion anymore hmm. in america you have extreme differences between very religious people and completely unreligious people in europe we are practically non-believers. So it's almost impossible to find a partner who says, oh yeah, no sex before marriage, that sounds awesome. It, it's also almost impossible to find. So when I have children, I would probably, I, I would pretty much tell them, "Well, you'll, you might never find a partner because you, are, you might make it too difficult for anybody to commit to you. Mm -hmm. But I think the the benefits of not having sex before marriage, keeping yourself and your sexuality holy, I think the benefits of that are are immense. Now, I know both sides. I had a lot of sex and I moved away from it. And now, now I see sexuality as something that is completely connected with marriage.
0: Well, as we wrap up here, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of speak directly to to my audience and your audience as well. We've covered a number of different topics here. If someone's listening to this, it resonates with them. They feel like, hey, I'm feeling some of the same way that that Phil's feeling. I've been through some of these same experiences. I may be questioning things. What's your message to them?
1: Real friends. Real good friends are crucial. Strong family, strong support of your family. For me, I, I, I know that for you, the first thing would be faith. And mm-hmm. me as well, but because I always had my faith, it, it is so normal. It is, mm-hmm. always felt so protected. But I think that you can't, full, that you can't heal without faith. Don't force yourself into faith. Sometimes it takes time. And and if you force yourself into something, then uh, it won't won't work. It won't work. Um, Let let your new life, whatever you start now, let it slowly start and be patient with yourself and, and be loving with yourself, but constantly critical. Every day, try to be a little bit better than the day before. And I mean, you write about it as well. I mean, there will be setbacks. The important thing is that you don't give up. If you struggle with any kind of addiction, be it porn or be it uh, sex, drugs, I think a very important thing is also that you remove yourself from the place where you are. You have to cut ties with certain friends, with certain environments, But when it's everywhere, when it's all around you, it's so much easier to give in. Build the structures that support you. I guess in your case, it's probably your family. It's your wife Mm -hmm. um, and your faith.
0: Well, Philip, this has been an incredible conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. People want to find out more about you and what you do and your, your political activism and everything that you're doing in your life. Where can they go to
1: find out about that? You can go to getter at freedommra. So Freedom MRA for men's rights activists or on Twitter under Philip Tancer One as number one. That's the two places where you can find me.
0: Well, Philip, thanks again for joining me. God bless you and everything that you're doing. Wish you the best. This was awesome. Thank you very much. And hope to see you soon again. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been an episode of the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is Timothy Regal. Thank you for listening. For additional content and to learn more about Into the Wilderness, visit www.IntoTheWildernessBlog.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and all other social media at Timothy Regal, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-R-E-I-G-L-E. If you're like me and many other men, you have struggled with porn. I was addicted for over 15 years and thought I would never break free. But through accountability, hard work, and never giving up, I found freedom from porn and sex addiction. If you're fighting the same battle, know there is hope. You can defeat this, but you cannot do it alone. That's why I offer one-on-one coaching to walk beside you in your battle. I'll provide personal guidance, support, and encouragement. And most importantly, accountability to keep you on track and help you reach your goals. So if you're ready to finally quit porn for good, if you're ready to put in the hard work, and if you're ready to finally take control of your life back, click on the link in the show notes to go to www.IntoTheWildernessBlog.com or DM me on Twitter or other social media to get started in your path to freedom today.